You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerd. I am once again your host, Andrew Lowen. I am joined by Sean and Rick, and here we are today to talk to you about the awkward moments that you have with fans in your life. Actually, our topic is more how to interact with fans in your life and the fun IRL. IRL. So, <laughs> oh yeah, let's let's get into our news, Rick. Monty Python's Kirkular Medieval Reenactment Program, not a role playing game, was funded. They say it's a tabletop. It looks a little more like a D&D style tabletop. Was funded and yep. under an hour and their pl- original pledge goal was two hundred thousand uh, dollars wow. right now as of this recording um i think they're just a couple days in because they have 28 days to go they're already over a million u.s dollars for this game we get a lot of people that are contacting us lately with their own tabletop rpg that they've developed that they've you know, work super hard to develop a brand new system. And I think that it's a really difficult sell. There are a lot of really, I mean, there's a lot of competition, you know, a brand new system that's very cool and different is competing against a lot of other brand new systems that are cool and different. In addition, Hasbro has their D&D one coming out and you have things like this Money Python thing, the Avatar, the last airbender, a lot of really cool tabletop RPGs. And I feel like it's just, tough i feel you know right now it's like the wild west where everybody's kind of coming out with their tabletop rpgs because fifth edition dungeons and dragons has been out for so long and pathfinder second edition there really hasn't been a whole lot of innovation and so i feel like we're getting just a ton of innovation hitting all at you know in the same time period and so i'm um pretty interested in where this goes but i just feel like it's going to be pretty tough to get like a tabletop RPG to market and with a lot of backing. Um, The company that created this one has 10 creative projects. And so they're definitely not a new creator. They've got other RPG products that have, you know, one of them has, you know, almost 19,000 backers for one of their previous projects. So they definitely had a, an audience coming into this. But it's interesting Uh, that you talk about basing RPGs off of known IPs because we had Avatar Legend of Aang role-playing game launched last year in terms of most funded projects that's the 11th most funded project of all time on kickstarter and that's a role-playing game based off a very well-known ip so there definitely is merit to not trying to reinvent the wheel maybe trying to license your system with a very like a known ip yeah you know i i will say that the dungeon master or the you know the dm which is the one that learns all the rules and runs the rpg for everyone else that's the real target that all of these people are going for. They want somebody that's willing to kind of buy into trying the system and, and that kind of thing. I think that, you know, the, the, the real battle is around giving them tools or, or at least a theme that is interesting enough to their group that they're willing to bring it to their group. Because it's all about that DM. If you get the one guy to, to say, hey, we're running Avatar or we're running Monty Python, that's what we're doing. Because I don't want to lead. I don't want to be the storyteller. I can see uh, a lot of, because there's there's a lot of Dungeons & Dragons players out there these days, especially since COVID hit. And there's a lot of groups out there. And I'm I'm, I'm betting that there's a lot of D, uh, Dungeon Masters that are buying this 
and they want me they'll probably introduce it like on a game night or it's like hey are you guys tired of fighting goblins tonight let's try this out instead so i I really think it's gonna this is gonna work out it's gonna do well um in fact i have a feeling they might hit the three million dollar mark on this one if they if they are you know going with the flow with the rest of their games they're currently at a little over seven thousand backers um so i'm gonna say they're gonna they're gonna definitely hit between two and three million be really cool to see the three million marks that puts them puts them up there pretty high so in other news the meta platforms incorporated which is facebook meta their stock is down 60 percent in the past year and what's interesting about this sort of plummet plummeting in their their value is their I suppose, insistent embrace of this idea of the metaverse. There's been a lot of sort of backlash from, from people because I think they've just, re- their metaverse doesn't have have people with legs. So there's like a lot of people like, what is this? And they're clearly, they're clearly seeking investors because they're like, hey, this is what's possible. This could be possible. And, and they've seen a decline in their uh, shareholder, stock shareholder, because people clearly don't resonate with this metaverse concept, this idea. They probably should stick with what they have, which is Facebook, and trying to make that better, optimize that. But uh, there's departure from that and sort of this, I suppose, insistent um, idea of going to the metaverse um, with their Oculus and pushing that technology, which I have suspicion they're going to have some like BNI technology, brain network interfacing tech, that they're going to like read your your emotional states through your mind with that. So it's just another way to get more data points on people. That's what I, that's what I suspect is going to happen with the Oculus. Crazy. But it's wild when you spend billions on the metaverse and you have hundreds of active users. Yeah. That just doesn't. It's wild. Isn't this like second life 2.0? I mean, from what I've seen, that's what it looks like. So if you get a headset instead of here on your little computer, and like you said, it'll start reading your mind and like, like all of a sudden you walk up and you're like, Bill, why does your avatar look constipated? I don't know. It's reading my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they like, I really feel like it's as close to the matrix as we've ever been where like the vision for this is that people will spend their lives in the metaverse, interacting with people in the metaverse. I mean, like yeah. you'll go to work and you'll do other things like in the metaverse. I just feel like it's uh, a little bit of a step into total recall. Like further than I'm willing to go. It's 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 still I think a fad. I mean I mean Second Life did its thing and it was popular for a while. In fact, people made quite a bit of money on Second Life when it was like on the eighties. They actually had a job on Second Life. And then PlayStation I remember um had one as well, something similar to that. PlayStation Home, I think it was Yeah, yeah. They Mm -hmm. and they of course that got discontinued and who knows what else have come and gone. So I have a feeling this is gonna come and go. And if they put all their money in this they're going to have problems in the future. I mean, I literally don't think it's, yeah. I don't think we're quite ready yet. It's still a sci-fi movie type thing. And I don't think, uh, you know, us as a, as a, as a human race is, is quite there yet. I think it needs another hundred hundred years. You know, pe- people spending money on Facebook has not really slowed down. People are spending ridiculous amounts of money on Facebook ads. And that's what's fueling their ability to do these sorts of things. And of course the government spends significant amount of money getting all that information on, on people. Uh, you know, paying for those things. What Facebook is trying to do is it's trying to innovate with its Oculus and other things like that. You know, when it, when you have a huge budget for research and development, I mean, you you spend it on new things. And and I think that uh, AR, um, augmented reality, and VR, virtual reality, are the two major areas. In fact, in essence, they're a company that is trying to kind of like Henry Ford, where you know, if he he said, you know, if I asked what people wanted, they would have said faster horses. 
And so he made an automobile, which was totally different and revolutionized, you know, a lot of things, travel being the chief uh, one among them. But Facebook is, is, you know, Meta is trying to revolu- you know, pioneer something that we didn't know we wanted. But I think that <laughs> we still don't want they, it. <laughs> yeah, we still don't want it. The, they've spent billions on this thing. And I think if they just spent a little bit more time researching what people did want, I don't know, polling people before they spent billions. I have a theory. Oh, I want to hear Sean's theory because I think it might be the same theory I have. So my theory is that as businesses become bigger and they become their brands become more established, they don't have to be as good as, at marketing. And I think they eventually make marketing mistakes. And I think we've seen this with a lot of massive corporations where they're just doing silly things, which if you did it, did them as a small business, you'd be out of business, you know, the next day, like that's sort of colossal in their failures. And they're not out of business because they're so big and they sort of are, they have this blank that they can fall back on. But um, even, even like the name change to meta could destroy business. And there was a drop in their stock when, when they did that. And I don't know if that was the best move for their, their company. Well, they um, didn't even own that that corporation. Someone else owned the corporation's name, and they changed it anyway. They stole it. <laughs> so we're here now. Yeah. So <laughs> another example of this is with the recent TwitchCon in San Diego that happened recently. There was this um, event with a, a sort of like a gladiator ring and like a, a ball. I don't know, like a ball pit. Yeah, but. <laughs> It wasn't deep enough, and this was it was an event run by Intel, so it's a massive corporation. You think they would, you know, have what like, tested Make it? Make the ball and... pit three feet deep instead of six inches deep. <laughs> exactly, and there's people who've broken their back and like dislocated their knees, and it's just like this disaster event they have to close. And again, that's another sort of marketing disaster where you're supposed to have this thing like this event, which is supposed to be fun. It turns out injuring a bunch of people. Um, but quickly, just just real quick uh, before we continue. Uh... Uh, my my conspiracy theory about Meta and their their lovely world, um, with all these new laws and regulations going to affect, especially in the European Union and as well here in America, about privacy and third party things just you know not being allowed and whatnot. I think uh, Facebook is losing some of their data, and by switching over to this Meta thing, like literally once you log in, everything you do, say, hear, whatever is recorded, and they have their property. Data. Yeah, so. Yeah. My conspiracy theory is they they need more data, and so they're using us completely for that data. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. trying. I think they're trying to um, make waves into Web three and get a foothold there, so that when it does become more popular, that they have a, a stronghold, so to speak. So, in other news, uh, Kickstarter finally announced that it has appointed Everett Taylor as the new CEO of Kickstarter. And recently, I mean, this happened, um, I guess, toward the end of the month in September. But we're just talking about it now because Everett Taylor came and he gave a um, a video update and is trying to, I guess, kind of get people back on board. Um, I sort of felt that it was a, I wasn't convinced of their authenticity. I wasn't convinced that they really are going to make changes, but I'm hopeful that at least they have somebody at the top. And, um, you know, the, the real problem, I think, with Kickstarter has always been, I mean, they have a very vocal employee base and it's kind of like, it just seems to me that it's like herding cats, you know, at Kickstarter. So I wonder if this is the person, the CEO that can actually lead their company into success or if we're going to get more of the same, which is a recommitment to blockchain and to not 
doing the things that the actual users really want or the creators really want. And, you know, that made, in essence, made room for competitors like GameFound or BackerKit to, to try to kind of take their market share. I'm a little bit concerned because I think with Kick, like Kickstarter also has introduced this thing called forward funds where they have non-government organizations, which are unnamed. There could be huge, you know, like the Bill Gates Foundation, which is rolling with billions that can, you can, you can apply to get, you basically apply, Hey, this is what my project is about. And then if these NGOs see your projects like, Oh yeah, this is part of our philosophy or like our activist goals. They will then put money into your Kickstarter. And I kind of feel like that it could like drown out kind of smaller projects and it might incentivize people to have projects that push a certain ideology, which I think is on, maybe one of the problems with Kickstarters, it does focus very heavily on wanting to change the world. They're not, they're not kind of like this business, like, Hey, we're just here to help small people grow. And we just want to like make money as a business. It's, it's kind of like, we want to change the world and they kind of have that kind of spin. And I do think that something like this, this forward funds is going to harm the authenticity of projects on the platform. So that's sort of what I'm sort of thinking, but I think it's good that we have alternatives. I think it's good that there's back kit. I think it's good that there's game found. I think all of these alternatives are only going to make the crowdfunding space more robust and it's going to get, get everyone to be competitive and say, Hey, we need to innovate here and we need to improve here. This is what makes us different. This is what makes us better. And we might see a splitting in the crowdfunding space where maybe people who want to uh, promote projects, which have that sort of activist spin will be landing on Kickstarter. People who just want to, you know, make games, go to game found people who want to do other things, go to back of kit, whatever. We might start seeing this divergence in the crowdfunding space, which might not necessarily be all that bad because you're going to have people who really care about board games on GameFound, and that that could be a mm-hmm. great for GameFound and for backers. Kickstarter, they they've always been—I forget what it's called—a public benefit organization. I think is what it's called, a public benefit company, where they they aim to advance the public good. And when it comes to board games, you know, just being around—I mean, I've been a backer of board games since 2015, and or or so I believe 20 end of 2015 maybe beginning of 2016. I've, I've noticed very little improvement on their system in regard to board games. And yet board games make over a third of their revenue. It's like 38% of their revenue in the last year they, they share their income was the or was from board games. And you know if you look at their website and what they push, certainly board games are, are a piece of it, but they're really pushing a lot of things that are not focused on what their main moneymakers are. And, you know, I mean, one of the reasons people were so angry about blockchain is not because they had an idea about blockchain and what the heck it actually is, but because that means that they're not focusing on where, where the core, what the core of their market cares about. You know, they, you have a huge segment of the population of, of Kickstarter backers that feel overlooked, you know, which is hilarious because they have perfect, which is a kid's picture book, a story for anyone who's ever been overlooked, like on their, um, on this forward funds uh thing but it's a um i just feel like they are allowing competitors to come in and you're right sean maybe they are going to maybe they're willing to give up that market share for the um you know to kind of sacrifice that for their pursuit of the the, um ideological stance they they take i just feel like you know corporations used to really try to make money like, you know, they're, that's why people kind of started standing against corporations because all they wanted to do is make more money. 
and they would sacrifice, you know, a lot of good for it. And now with uh, something like this, which is a public benefit or, you know, a corporation, they are all about sacrificing, uh, we'll say profits for their, uh, you know, the greater good, you know, according to their ideology. I'm not sure if that's better. It just seems like they're going to make less money and be able to do less good than if they focused on what, you know, really what, what I guess filled their, their bank accounts. Yeah. We're seeing this even with PayPal, you know, we discussed last time on the, on the podcast where they almost have become like religious organizations where the goal isn't to, to make money. It is, well, it is to promote certain types of behavior. And we saw this with PayPal's push for misinformation, which they don't define. And so that could mean anything they PayPal disagrees with and suddenly your livelihood's coming into question. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting times we're living in for sure. All right. So uh, that's been some nerd news. And, and now on to our main topic that we wanted to talk about. And this kind of, I think, you know, Sean suggested this topic as something that would be really useful. We love to share things that are kind of going on currently. And it just so happens that I went to a, a, a big convention over the weekend it was actually not a big convention. In fact, some might even call it a small convention. But I flew out to uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, New Albany is where the convention was, which is right across the river from Louisville, and had a great time. I guess that's kind of what we're talking. We're, what we're going to talk about is all the things that happened there, and how I interacted with my fans, and really, we could even talk about why I decided to go, and you know, why I identified this convention over others to to attend. On a scale of stinkiness, where does it rank? You know, <laughs> it's, uh, well, there were no magic players there. Actually, there were magic okay. players. There were commander players. But, um, you know, I mean, the the ratio of like Magic the Gathering players to board gamers and video gamers was like, you know, lower than usual. So the the, the amount of stinkiness was lower too. Okay. As a direct result. So on a, on a scale so- from a walk in the park to Comic-Con International? I'd say it'd be more towards the walk in the park. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it was definitely a walk in the park. There were uh, um, just over a hundred, I want to say over 120 people that attended over a, um, like a two day period. And so it was a more intimate convention. It was very, you know, very targeted. So there's an organization called love thy nerd. So this was actually their first in-person convention that they've done in a couple of years. I mean, since before COVID they did like, an online convention, which, which I uh, attended, if you will. And this one was, was a a good in-person one. So one thing I wanted to talk about was Andrew, how did you deal with fans of deliverance? Cause I know you obviously had some, some people that you probably would have met for the very first time. I know that whenever I've gone to conventions and I've met, I suppose, influencers or internet sort of pseudo celebrities or whatever, they have, always it's, it's always been a bit weird because you know i know so or like the, the the fan or whatever knows so much about the person but they know nothing about you so it's kind of like this one-way relationship and you can kind of forget that and i've always found that those interactions have been kind of awkward because they don't know who you are and also you're not seeing the person and their sort of internet celebrity persona you're seeing them you know, three days without sleep, kind of sweaty, you know, mm-hmm. a bit grumpy. It always, I always like leave those t- types of conventions thinking um, almost deflated. Like the person was not how they, they were. They're not nearly as cool um, as I thought they would be. Exactly. And I was thinking, did you have any kind of like moments like that where you had to like just really bite your lip and try to be friendly even though 
the only thing you want to do is go to the bathroom and be left alone. Um, and then maybe just, just talk a little bit about that. Like what was it like meeting fans and, and interacting with them in real life? Well, so that's one of the benefits of going to a convention that's not, you know, several thousand people is that you have a lot more time to be able to dedicate to an individual or to carry on a conversation over like if that person is in the front of a line and there's a line of five to 10 people behind them, you know, wanting to, you know, buy a product or get a signature or say hi, or, you know, something like that. So I had more time to talk to people. And I found that what the one thing I wish I had earlier on was I wish I had a schedule that, you know, like a, uh, we eventually came up with like a paper, you know, a sign up where you could sign up for a time to play deliverance. So part of the goal that it, where I originally set up, I had like a 10 by 20 booth that had two tables on it. And we ran deliverance games on both tables for the entire two days of the convention. I, I have a philosophy when I go into an event, unless I'm looking to sell stuff, if I, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, you're at Origins or Gen Con or PAX Unplugged, one of the big selling conventions, UK Games Expo, Essen, you want to move product. That's why you're there. And, you know, a lot of the time when you get a booth, it's quite expensive and you need to sell like the 150 or the 300 units that you brought with you of, of your games. And that makes it a lot more difficult. You need to have a staff there of, of like three to four people to handle sales for you when you're, you know, occupied. But at a convention like this, when um, I, I'm focused on teaching people the game, helping people learn the game and understand the game, a lot of Kickstarter backers walked up to me. Those are all kind of like my people. I picked this convention on purpose because a lot of our fans were going to this convention. And my intent was not so much to get new sales, even though we made, you know, like a, a dozen sales. My goal was to meet the people that I have sold the, the product to already and get them really just get to get to know them, get to get them to experience the product, market test the product even more for that fine tuning and make sure that when we actually deliver the product that it is so slam dunk and awesome. And also another thing that I think is very undervalued is when when people learn how to play, when they play a game, that you know, it's, it's a whole lot less intimidating to, to when they receive the, the product in the mail, they're much more likely to open it up and then read the rule book because they feel like I just need to get a refresher of the rules. Right. And, that, and that's your marketing, right? Because they, if they are confident playing the game or they're excited to open it, they're going to invite friends over mm -hmm. and then they're going to be able to experience deliverance or the game. And then they're going to buy a copy and then they're going to play and they, the, the, so the cycle right. continues. So it's really important that people know how to play your game and they get used to playing your game and learning the rules. Right. And uh, every single person that played the game had a ton of fun. Even the spouses of the people that were gamers, those spouses are not gamers. They, even they loved it and were like, I can't wait to play this with my significant other, you know, which felt really good. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I look at all of the people that have purchased a game. Every single one of those people is on my email list. They received my emails. They are going to potentially back future Kickstarters. They are going to share the game with people. And whenever a game is released into, we're going to print four to 5,000 units of deliverance. Uh, when we print that many, we're going to give 2,500 to the backers that, that um, backed the game. And then we have 2,500 more to sell or you, right. And how does, how does, how do you sell 2,500 units of your product? 
you can use Facebook ads. I'm personally estimating we can sell a thousand units in a year through Facebook ads. After that, we have 1500 units more. So we'll need retailers to reorder and we'll need very importantly, the core of our marketing is, you know, I mean, obviously if we win awards or something like that, that's, you know, bumps in visibility, maybe Dice Tower reviews it and Tom Vassell loves it or something, or some other reviewer loves it. That's going to be influential on the, on the sales. Certainly maybe it gets great buzz on board game geek, but really what it comes down to are people taking the game or bringing, bringing others in for game night and whipping that game out and saying, let's play a game of deliverance. And those people that play saying, I love this. Where can I buy this? That to me is like the primary medium of sales in the board game industry after Kickstarter. And if people, number one, if people know how to play it, they are more likely to bring out, bring it out on the table rather than, you know, sometimes I know many of us have been to a game night where we bust out a game and they're like, all right, guys, I don't know how to play this. It's time to learn the rules, right? I always detest doing that, but I have. Um, I want somebody to like have learned the rules before and then tell me what to do, you know, but I think it's really a lot about investing into them. And, you know, originally you asked this question about what's it like when people meet you and, and that kind of thing. I have experienced the same, like it's, it's such a drag when somebody that you really appreciate, you know, where you appreciate their content, where they look at you and they say hi, and they're too busy for you and that kind of thing. I hate that. It's like, like, I don't know. I just feel like they should be more grace, gracious that they have fans. And I think a lot of the time people lose sight of that when you've got 5,000 people that really love your product that tell you how great it is and you meet them in person, you should be appreciative. Like you are not this larger than life figure. You are a human just like they are with your flaws. And if they spent long enough with you, they would know that. They would know that you are just as flawed as they are but they appreciate something that you've done. And so you should, in my view, celebrate the thing that you made as like a fan because you, most people made the game that they wanted to play. So you should be as much of a fan of your product as they are of you. And so together you can celebrate the thing that you made and, you know, as a fan. And I think that's really where, you know, I try to focus. I try to put so much emphasis on the people that I'm meeting with. And a lot, a lot of the time it was an awkward beginning where they're just like, Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm like, hi, it's nice to meet you. Like, Oh no, I, my name's this on discord. We've talked like hundreds of times like, Oh, <laughs> well, nice to see you. But it's the first time I met, I met him in real life. It is kind of awkward. And I feel like I feel bad that I didn't recognize them or didn't recognize their username or something, but I try not to let that get in the way. You know, it's like uh, a, a mentor of mine who passed away this this last year. He said, uh, don't ruin a good story for a lack of facts. Just roll with it. Be like, oh, that's awesome. You know, what are you, you know, and just talk about the game or something like that. Like, don't dwell on what's the Irish. On you and... <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I had people from Canada come up to me and say, um, hey. you know, hi. And yeah, hey, hello. Hey. Um, <laughs> The kindest people ever. At any point, did you feel kind of drained or maybe a little bit irritable? And then if you did, well, what did you do to sort of combat that? So I think that there's a difference between like, on, on this front, there are a lot of game designers that are introverted. 
and they're I am extroverted. So I actually gain energy being around people. Like it, a warrior, it's like, you gain rage when yeah. you're attacked. <laughs> that's right. That's so that's me. Now, a fellow that I was right next to in his booth, um, uh, Josh uh, Wagner from Animo, he is an introvert. He was talking about, you know, how it, it drains energy to be around people and to interact and that kind of thing. I think that it's your job to interact with, with people, celebrate the product with them. You don't have to, you know, talk, you know, shoot the breeze and talk about anything that they want to talk about. You can kind of retract into your bubble and that sort of thing. But I personally find extroversion to be a little bit of a superpower during conventions where it can go too far is when you do so much talking, it's very easy for an extrovert to talk themselves into a sale of a game and right back out of a sale of a game. You know, like I talk too much. And so that's really what I have to focus on not doing. I have to let Did that happen. That... Oh, well, I, I really, tr- I mean, I've yes in the past. Absolutely. Okay. But I've really tried hard to, to temper how much I talk. What I try to do is I try to ask questions and then listen. And it's, um, you know, a lot, what I used to do is I used to, when they were talking to me, I used to kind of be thinking of the thing that I was going to say to them next. <laughs> That's how you win arguments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't actually listen to them, but you're just like, all right, this is what I'm saying next. When there's a pause, I'm going to say, but, oh yeah, but I understand what you said, but have you thought about, it? it's like, I didn't listen to anything they said. So I really try to ingest what it is that they're saying and hear them and make them feel heard. I think those are the most important elements of interacting with fans. So what kind of questions would you ask if you met someone you maybe it's a little bit awkward, they're introverted, you're kind of introverted. What kind of questions do you ask to kind of kick things off? I, well, I try to first, you know, it, there is a thing that we are mutually, you know, that, that we both have mutual interest in. And I try to, I try to ask them about, themselves but very very um quickly it kind of turns to the product that they're interested in right uh deliverance the is the board game that they know me by and is the thing that we're making and we can kind of we can talk about that it's like so what how did you originally find deliverance as as a question i love to ask and what made you decide to like jump in and what do you think of this you know now this prototype on the table that because I've had that happen at conventions as well, and I always kind of felt like that comes across as a bit like markety, <laughs> like I know, like they're trying to like they're trying to like suss out how good their marketing is. You know, like where did uh-huh. you hear about me? It's like oh, Facebook ads. Like oh, great, I'm gonna put more money in Facebook ads. I feel like it's a bit disingenuous. So I was. It's interesting you say that because I've always had sort of a negative connotation to that question mm-hmm. when meeting someone face to face. It's like I don't like when they ask, oh, how did you hear about me? Because it's kind of like they're trying to suss out where they get their good good return on investment when it comes to advertising oh you know i feel personally attacked sean i do not <laughs> no i and you're right actually from that front i was total. i totally want to know where they found us so that i can invest more into that but i think the real key is it's like a lead in almost like icebreakers you know that's not a question that you would necessarily want to begin and end with but it's you know it's like you you talk to somebody and you say hey what's up and you give them a big handshake or hug or whatever it's kind of like you know when someone asks you what do you do for a living trying to suss out how much money you have you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know okay, at the same can you time, this? <laughs> yeah at 
it's hilarious. But if you're at a park and you're swinging your kid and they're swinging their kid, it's like you have nothing in common other than you have kids of similar age. One of the most common questions that men ask one another is, well, what do you do for work? Right. Just to like yeah. find something to talk about. Right. But when you know there already is something interesting to talk about, you, I, I you know, I want to direct the conversation to the game itself as quick, or not as quickly as possible, but that's where I'm going. I'm like, you know, what do you think of this thing on the table? And, you know, in this case, it was actually the factory prototype being revealed. And I got to show them the thing that they had backed and let them touch it. And every person was freaking out, happy and excited. So they have to put gloves on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I let them touch it with these Here's gloves. Here's some for your hands. <laughs> and now that you've cleansed your hands, you can only look. Yeah. Um, do not touch. But uh, yeah, so they, they got to actually play and that was like a real, like a really kind of magical element. But in addition to that, I had our, our lead concept artist was there. I had our oh, cool. you know graphic designer that helped me for years was there. They got to meet me in person. And what was funny is that, and I met Jacob Cecil who works for Jacob us. Jacob was there. He, he was there. So yeah, he actually stayed at my Airbnb the first night. Also Chris, uh, who's our video game designer sold his house in Texas and is like in the middle of moving his family to um, you wherever up North, uh, not Wisconsin, I think. And he made a detour to be there. So it was like a big deal to him. And uh, so I had to, have motives. you announced the video game? I don't know if you've we're, announced. We're doing a deliverance video game. Sorry. I, I, I did announce it at the LTN con. We, we gave a demo of the video game. It's going to be um, like a single player uh, game where we're going to release it on PC, Steam, and uh, potentially Switch, which is going to be pretty cool. So that's, that's da, da, pretty da. cool. The, so there was one major motivator was to show the game to the fans. Uh, but there was also, for me, an additional motive, which was... I wanted to really get to know the team that worked on it. So Jacob Cecil, he 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 does work for Next Level Web for or crowdfunding nerds for our company, but also he he's was the uh, graphic designer for the t-shirts. He's like the t-shirt guy. And then Dan Maynard is our lead concept artist. I got to meet him for the first time. We've been working together since 2019, almost three years now, and I finally got to meet him for the first time. Adam Glass been working since 2018 September, and he actually took a picture of me. And was like, I need to show this to my wife to prove that Andrew is real. You know, <laughs> it was so funny. And we had a con one of our contest winners, Dave Conklin. I actually, he was a, a fan of our, one of my favorite things to do is run contests internally for, you know, for fans. I, I don't really like giveaways because I just feel like people jump onto your email list for, you know, for a free thing and not because they care about you, but just, they want a free thing. And, but running contests, you know, I, I gave, um, a ticket and, you know, hotel room and, and that kind of thing. And Dave was the winner of the contest from our fans and he got to come in and had, we had a great time together. And it just, I feel like giving, if I give anything, it should be to the fans that made it possible. And I think that is true for, for every company out there. You, you should focus on your fans and treat them like the Kings and Queens that they are versus saying, all right, you're in the sheepfold. Now I'm closing the fence and you can't get out. So all I need to do is add more sheep in, you know. And, and microtransactions. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, you are going to ask for more money from your fans. You're going to ask them to buy more stuff. So you should make them feel appreciated. 
right? So I hate supporting companies that, that treat me like I'm a dollar sign. And I like companies that say, we're making this really cool thing that you want. It costs that much money and they feel a little bit less uh, corporate and a little bit more. Please personal. pull out your credit card. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we also announced the deliverance expansion that we're working on that. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff happening. So in terms of the moral of the story is treat people like people and treat them as you would like to be treated. And it's going to really help with building yeah. a community and getting that sort of long-term sales. It's just being human, being relatable. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, treat people like they matter. The tendency is to treat people as though they're only worth 50 bucks or only worth $150 for deliverance. Only worth the transaction. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's not true. In a selfish corporate greed perspective, the person is not just worth a transaction, they are worth their entire network. And so the way that you should look at it at the very least is certainly the person that has purchased from you is going to have a, a potentially a lesser lifetime value of somebody that hasn't and is interested, but you can increase that, you know, your one customer with a lifetime value of 150 bucks, if you just put a care into that person, if you listen to that person, um, we went over, I think a couple of weeks ago, how I added a, a little league field to our deliverance mat for one person that one guy asked, he said, I will upgrade for, for a neoprene mat. Uh, if you add a little league field, I'm like, okay, done. You know, there it is. And, um, that one person is, you know, you never know what type of influence they have. Um, one of our deliverance fans happened, just so happened to be the roommate of Dallas Jenkins in college and Dallas Jenkins, but the creator of the chosen, which is the largest crowdfunded project in history, you know, that they, um, uh, actually, no, no, no. Second largest behind Brandon Sanderson, uh, in his, <laughs> his project, right. His I mean, I think they've raised like 40 million and Brandon Sanderson raised like 41, but, um, Anyway, th that guy gave me a shout out because of somebody that knew that knew him, that was a fan of the game, that felt valued. So you never know. I mean, I had the, uh, you know, I don't want to like, you know, name drop everybody, but I had some really famous people back my Kickstarter that just so happened to, um, you know, very big board game influencers, you know, very famous people that, uh, that backed the Kickstarter. And, you know, just somebody knew somebody else. And, you know, famous people like board games too, I guess. Um, but think of the opposite. Think, think, think if someone went to the convention and is like, dang, that Andrew was a jerk. You know, I'm going to pull funding on this. I, you guys shouldn't trust him. He lets his kids play with big bugs. You know, what a, <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah. You know, and so the opposite is true too. I mean, you know, word of mouth either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's going to conclude this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. Um, if you enjoyed our talks today and want to listen to some previous episodes, vi visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Also, keep your eyes peeled for our new course that is coming out. Do we have an official name for it? Is it just the Crowdfunding Nerds Crowdfunding course? Nerds Marketing Course. Yeah, it sounds just like our other things like Crowdfunding Nerds uh, Community. <laughs> there you go. We keep, we'll we keep, keep names easy. basic. Yeah, so keep your eyes peeled for the uh, Crowdfunding Nerds Marketing Course, which will be advertised on our Facebook group at the crowdfunding nerds community. And of course, that's one of our great uh, resources we have available for you. So if you have any questions or just, you know, some, some uh, like a burning desire to speak to uh, St. Andrew, uh, join our crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook. My favorite word is phenomenal. We have a phenomenal community 
at crowdfunding nerds online on facebook as well oh and we're also getting close to our hundredth episode we've been doing this for two years now what is going on we're almost two years and we're gonna have our really crazy awesome hundredth episode where andrew's gonna give away a million dollars just kidding Uh, (laughs) and a deliverance game just kidding um sorry (laughs) we're probably not giving away anything i hope i do something but keep your eyes peeled for our hundredth episode we'll do do something like a live stream hundredth episode live stream we that should. would be fun. And we'll then have we some could fun. uh we could talk about our favorite moments from the, the last hundred episodes. That'd yeah, we cool. could bring up some we could we should put some random friends on and we'll do like a like how many people can we have on this on this podcast at the same time? I don't know. That's not, I've never tested that. We'll just have everyone talking at once. And anyway, that's all we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. As always, stay cool, stay classy, see you next week, and stay nerdy.